Welcome, welcome here to show 140 on Crypto Voices. Matthew Majinskis, your host here from the Baltics, joined here by my co-host, as always, Alec Harris from Halo Privacy. Alec, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you? Always good to be here. Good to have you on and pleased to introduce our special guest today, Jason Stone. Jason is founder of one of the first staking as a service companies in the United States, uh, later known for starting the DeFi division of Celsius in 2020 under the pseudonym 0xB1. The once largest EOA wallet on Ethereum and now whistleblower and venture capitalist. So uh, no short amount of news to talk about today. Jason, <laughs> thanks a lot for joining and welcome. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. So it's been a pretty boring couple of weeks for you. How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, not boring. Um, it has been a very interesting and enlightening couple of weeks, I'll say the least. Um, I uh, wasn't directly affected by the FTX blow up. Um, I never used uh, FTX US and I didn't have any money in FTX International at the time that uh, things blew up. But uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been crazy watching from the sidelines. I think it's actually the first time in crypto, in my crypto life cycle in the last three years that there's been like a major market movement of like greater than 10% in price slash like a crypto blow up of some kind where I haven't been materially affected directly. So it's actually been interesting to like watch from the sidelines and uh, just be able to like consume and digest the information and data that's, that's come out. Um, and also to some degree, it's been a little bit vindicating. Um, just, you know, like, uh, I obviously have been through what I've been through. Um, crypto has been through what it's been through over the last year. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it is what it is, right? <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Famous words there. Yeah, so I, I wanted to get into a lot of, uh, of the FTX uh, debacle. I think we'll get there very soon. But um, maybe just sure. to start, um, you know, we have primarily a Bitcoin show, talking a little bit pre-show about this. Primarily interested in a lot of, you know, the, the geopolitics, the economics, the money supply stuff. Uh, less focused on DeFi and staking and yields and stuff. And um, like you said, maybe, well, Bitcoiners in particular might feel vindicated with some of these actions, but nonetheless, Bitcoin is affected as well, for sure. So regardless, yeah, yeah regardless, uh, how did you uh, get into this space in general? I understand you started out pseudonymous as well. Care to tell that story a little bit? Well, OXB1 started out synonymous. I actually didn't start out synonymous in this space. Um, basically, my crypto story is that uh, when I first got out of college um, in... I graduated college in 2010. Um, I was dating the younger sister of one of the co-founders of Palantir um, in 2011, 2012. And he actually tried to get me into Bitcoin back then, uh, right when like it went from like 100 to 1,000. And I didn't have the investable assets to like, you know, make it a care in my life. And sadly, I, I didn't get into it back then when he told me to. But fast forward about five years, um, summer 2016, <clears throat> I had been like in the startup, you know, fintech, Silicon Valley venture capital world over those five years. Um, my best friend from growing up's dad, we were hanging out and he was telling me about, you know, Ethereum and 
it had just launched and, you know, he knows that I had always been mad that I missed Bitcoin, but like Ethereum was this new thing. Uh, he was like, you can mine it on your laptops. My dad is a crazy, you know, mechanical engineer dude that always never throws anything away. So went out to my parents' house, grabbed like seven old laptops and started mining some Ethereum from my, uh, from my house. This is like July, 2017. Um, no, July, 2016, excuse me. Um, tried to like, at that point in time, it was very difficult to like get cash for the ETH that you mined out of New York state. You had to like go to Chinatown to get these like phone card things. I literally like tried to do it. And I lived down, I lived down there at the time. And like, I went three mornings in a row, literally couldn't like convert my like $150 in Ethereum to cash with these phone card things. Cause I was like too far back in the line to like get a phone card for three straight days. So I said, fuck this, I'm done. Uh, stopped mining Ethereum. It was only, I only mined like 11 Ethereum total that summer. Um, forgot about it. Uh, and then basically December 2016 slash January 2017 came around. I was at a poker game with some friends, uh, that were like, you know, doctors and stuff. And one of them was like, Oh, Jason, you know, that Ethereum has like gone crazy. And, uh, this is probably like second or third week of January, 2017. Ethereum was 60 or $70. And I was like, Oh wow, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> so I actually lost access to those 11 or 12 ETH that I had mined in 2016. But, uh, I put like $200,000 into Ethereum at, a you know, under 80 bucks. And, uh, that was basically my entry, my foray into, into crypto. Um, I ended up researching, uh, proof of stake in the early days, like proof of stake version one, like Qtum, quantum, uh, dash horizon, uh, master node coins, stuff like that. <clears throat> I really missed the, the ethos of like, getting coins for free or not for free, but like the mining aspect. And I really was drawn to the staking, like being able to generate coins from the coins that you own. So I was doing a lot of research, um, over that spring and summer into the proof of stake version one through three space. Um, uh, and yeah, like I was one of the first, uh, people that, was like a heavy staker of Qtum when Qtum staking launched in September 2017. Um, I think people credit me with um, basically being one of the first pioneers of what would eventually be called uh, stake grinding um, before like the actual stake kernel code was discovered. Basically what it would mean is it was in the early days where it's almost like an ASIC for Bitcoin. You would find the the greatest efficient the most efficient stake weight given the amount of coins you had to earn the most re block rewards possible so i came up with some optimizations that did really well um in qtum and a couple other masternode coins or you know masternode hybrid staking chains and uh started a small business around that called battlestar capital at the end of 2017 um and, uh, that was like one of the first staking as a service companies in America. Um, it ended up evolving into, uh, Kefi later on, which was more of a software company to basically do self custodial pooled staking. Um, and then, you know, everyone 
knows part of the story from that uh, as so as Kefi evolved into Celsius Kefi. But yeah, that's basically my uh, my story into crypto. Yeah, nice. So, um, were you business partners with Phil Vogel back in the day? Yeah, how do you know Phil Vogel? Whoa, he and I have some mutual friends, and uh, it was one of those things years ago where people still did the oh, here's my one friend that's into crypto, and here's my other friend that's into crypto, so they should meet. Oh wow, that's so funny. Phil, Phil's actually like one of my best friends. Uh, we met, I think, when we were like when I was seventeen, eighteen. He he's a couple years older than me. Uh, but like way before crypto even began, um, when I was like in college, uh, this is probably 2007. Uh, yeah, he, um, I brought him on, uh, to be a co-founder in Battlestar, uh, probably nine months into Battlestar. Um, he actually, he was working for one of my other best friends from growing up at a fintech startup, mm-hmm. left, joined me. And then after Battlestar turned to Kefi, he went back to the fintech world and then now is leading blockchain at flow carbon. So it's, you know, small world. It's a great story. Yeah. And I, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Phil too. So small world, but not surprising. So let me just kind of lead up front, right? Like anyone who is following the news could pretty easily get some of your backstory in the whole, you know, run up and build up of, of Celsius, but also, uh, the demise. Can can you kind of like tell a little bit of the the Celsius story and how you got linked up with with that organization? Sure. Um, so in early 2018, I met Leah Jonas, who was at the head at the time like the head of BD at Celsius. She was one of the earliest employees. Great human being. Um, she introduced me to Mashinsky probably spring or summer 2018. Um, at the time, I don't even think Celsius had any staking coins that were, you know, had live staking going on supported. Uh, but Alex was, you know, uh, very interesting and, you know, uh, interested person and thought, you know, staking could be something that would come up in the future. So we kind of just jived from the first time we met, um, after a couple convos, he ended up investing uh, a small check, like 50k, into into Battlestar, um, uh, and we became pretty pretty close. Um, Battlestar ended up running the uh, the DevOps infrastructure for Dash node staking for both Celsius and Bitco. Um, back this is very very end of 2018 or very early 2019, which was the only staking coin that. Uh, Celsius and uh, Bitco supported at the time. Um, once Battlestar uh, morphed into Kefi uh, in 2019, or at the very end of 2019, um, uh, Celsius, like we had been, Battlestar had been a service provider to Celsius just for Dash, running Dash nodes, no custody stuff, just running Dash nodes. Um, and basically, Celsius, the company, and Newt Goldstein, the CT, the founder, the co-founder and CTO of Celsius, uh, invested into Kefi in December uh, and January in December 2019. Uh, and Alex Mashinsky's investment in Battlestar rolled into an equity position in Kefi. So, both Celsius, the company, and then Alex and Nuke, uh, all three people slash entities were were investors in Kefi. Um, basically starting from January 1, 2020. 
and Qfi continued to run uh, the Dash infrastructure for uh, for Celsius through the first half of 2020. But like we're talking about like 11 nodes or something. It was a very small number of master nodes. Like what was the vibe like early on? Because you know for a long time, the at least the outward projection was quite a success story. So we were just friends. Like uh, they were investors in me, and like basically COVID hit uh, February 2020, and I uh, went with a friend of mine um, to Tulum and spent the first four months of COVID there from like March 10th, 2020 to, to May. And, um, you know, Kefi didn't raise enough money. Uh, when it started, it only raised like 500 grand. Uh, well, if cell token had been... <laughs> four dollars then instead of ten cents it would have been a lot more money but uh we only raised 400 grand it was pandemic um you know and by april may we were running out of money and i didn't know what to do and no one was you know funding stuff it was just a different time in the world i personally kind of missed the the first stages of like you know DeFi spring i'll call it which was like the comp the early compound days um so what happened exactly? So I moved back to New or I came back to New York uh, in May 2020. I'm like struggling to raise money for, you know, to do a second round for KeyFi to support us. We're building out this multi-party computation, you know, pooled staking system that would have been a you could equate it to like a an early architecture of what Lido would later do ten times better than we imagined it. Um, and you know, I'm like talking to my existing investors, begging them to, you know, fund me and, you know, help me uh, make Kefi not fail. And, you know, Mashinsky and I had grown pretty close over those two years. And I was also very close with the CTO, Newt Goldstein, um, who I have a lot of respect for and, uh, and still do. And, um, Basically, you know, Alex was like, Jason, I'm not going to give you any more money, but, you know, Celsius is growing really fast and we can, we don't have a lot of like crypto native, you know, crypto first people. And I think that you can, you know, really build something out here. Um, I think that you, your team of seven should come and, you know, be internal to Celsius in some way and like help us generate yield. And, you know, we can build out a staking company under Celsius. That was the initial like way that we, decided that we were going to like work together full time. And that's probably end of May, 2020 throughout June and July, um, ending at the weekend of July 4th, when Alex gave me an ultimatum to either say yes or no, we negotiated like what it would look like, um, how we would be working together. It really seemed like they were going to integrate and they did, they ended up doing this, um, fully integrating my team into Celsius properly. Um, and, uh, yeah, like that was, that was it. Over this period of time, a couple friends of mine, Dave Namdar, a few others, like, you know, kind of told me more about what was going on in DeFi. Uh, I was getting into things like, uh, what was that one uh, uh, at the very, very beginning? It wasn't like cheddar, but it was like something like ridiculous. Um, Anyway, there was some staking stuff and DeFi summer stuff that I was doing in uh, in 2020 and starting to realize that like just using Aave and Compound and optimizing interest rates between, you know, 
those platforms could be a way for Celsius to earn additional yield. Um, and, or, or not just Celsius, but like me, you know, like arbitraging those things, participating in some of these farms where you're like deposit only uh, staking and getting free governance coins. And, um, you know, Alex wanted Kefi to come on and, you know, build out more Dash staking, more Horizon staking, more Tezos staking, stuff like that. And then also focus on DeFi. No one realized until August that DeFi was going to be by far and large the main focus of what we'd be doing. And that just had to do with how the world evolved over those three or four months and the the yield opportunities that existed. So that's kind of how we got involved. Um, you know, we kind of came to a verbal arrangement and, you know, text-based uh, understanding of like what the deal looked like by end of July, early August. And then I think it was like August 17th or 18th <clears throat> that we like officially started. Um, and when I say officially started, what I mean is they started transferring assets to uh, the first two accounts that I had control over. I actually left Celsius um, in March 2021, so seven months after we started. What did you help to build there, and then why did you why did you decide to leave? Uh, my tech team continued to like work with um, uh, the Celsius dev team to like set up other staking situations for coins that were relevant for that. So things like Matic, like Synthetics, like um, Polkadot, which didn't end up coming to fruition, Tezos, etc. Um, while me and two of the devs, uh, focused on finding DeFi strategies and basically, you know, coming up with opportunities with their risk management department, um, to, you know, deploy stable coins, ETH and wrap Bitcoin into ways that we could earn yield on it. Um, so that's basically what I, what I was doing and built out over those, uh, six, seven months. Um, uh, the reason that I ended up leaving is, uh, you know, these are all very difficult people to deal with and we're all very unique individuals. Um, <clears throat> there was one executive specifically um, who I'm not going to name, who has not been in the news very much, um, who I think is like the most evil person that, that ever worked at Celsius and the root cause of a lot of the issues that, that came up. Um, but basically there were a bunch of lies told about our regulatory status, how accounts were separated, a bunch of different things that I started learning around December 2020. Um, and then in Jan it was either very late December 2020 or early Janu January 2021, basically one of the guys on the deployment team, which is the team that like sends funds to the different business units and like processes the large scale institutional withdrawals and stuff. Basically, he and I were just very close and he told me on a phone call that he personally had executed, you know, I think it was like some thousands of Bitcoin worth of trades uh, to purchase sell token on liquid exchange over the period of like November 2019 to uh, basically, you know, October 2020. So right, right after I started um, and I kind of connected the dots and looked at the cell charts and realized that basically, you know, Alex had 
gone around other executives' backs to uh, create a situation where he was like self-actualizing this scenario where Cell became a uh, uh, you know, publicly viewed market viable asset of some kind that would enable Celsius to to continue to grow and expand and borrow real fiat and other Bitcoin and ETH against you know cell token collateral. Because for the first three years of Celsius's existence, most people viewed cell token as you know a completely liquid shitcoin. Um, it a lot of exchanges wouldn't list it. You had very few venues, et cetera. You know, Uniswap summer happened. There's a little bit more liquidity. There's then more trading on liquid exchange. And then, you know, Alex, and rightfully so, um, was trying to, you know, get as many venues to, you know, trade sell token as possible. I didn't realize that at the time that one of his main ways of doing that was creating basically a, a propped up, you know, seemingly valid liquid market for sell token such that it would entice other groups um, like FTX to list it eventually, um, like to try and convince Genesis to lend against sell token, which, you know, I don't think that they ever ended up doing, but that was like one of his like dream things that he tried to do um, over many, many months, both before I got there, when I was there, and then I think after I left. Um, but yeah, like I, I found out once I found out that that major spend of Bitcoin um, that went into sell like the year preceding me arriving and that kind of being the reason that sell pumped like 30x before the regular crypto market pumped uh, starting at the end of 2020. I, I uncovered a couple other things that were maybe a little less bad than that, but I just like there had just been so much drama and I'd seen different executives lie to each other to accomplish like basically Alex's wishes. Um, it just, it, it, I, I saw major problems and I was not willing to be a part of that anymore. And I had grave concerns as to if they would honor the deal that we had made, which it became very clear that they, they weren't going to, and they didn't even understand the deal that we had made, let alone <laughs> how to run their business to begin with. So they haven't even paid you for certain services from like a year and a half ago? My team got our salaries at the time. Like basically the devs were making like 90K annualized. Um, I think I, my salary was literally like $5,200 a month uh, cash um, as a consultant. Um, uh, but yeah, in terms of the profit share, that's what the whole lawsuit's about. They, they never paid out um, any portion of the profit share except for the advances that they authorized me to take in the form of purchasing some NFTs with ETH. Uh, and they actually never even paid the purchase price for Keyfi, the company. Um, they were basically supposed to pay $65,000 cash plus 375,000 sell token. And then plus uh, the profit share as uh, quoted in the lawsuit. And they, they did pay the $65,000 at the very beginning. They never paid the 375,000 sell token because like two months after the closing, they were like, oh, we changed some rule and now we can't send any more sell token to a U.S. entity. And I was like, uh, you literally sent three times this amount of sell token to the same U.S. entity when you invested in it 
for equity a year ago. And now that you're buying the company that you invested in, you can't send it sell token anymore. It was like fucking hilarious. So they basically never completed the transaction to buy, to buy Kefi even after giving me $2 billion to manage for them. <laughs> well, they haven't completed a lot of transactions at this point. And uh, yeah. if, we can, if we can fast forward, I know you're uh, you know, in ongoing litigation, so uh, you probably can't say everything, but this is live and ongoing now six, well, five months, as, as we said, from June, 2022, this meltdown. So yeah, what's your, what's your analysis of the situation just broadly at the moment? I haven't really kept up on the main piece of the um, bankruptcy. Uh, like I, I attended the first few hearings, um, just listened in. I'm generally aware of what's going on. I, you know, feel really shitty. Obviously, like I was gone for a year and a half, or you know, a one year and four months between when I actually resigned and when they filed for bankruptcy. So, like a lot of things happened in between then. I, you know, feel some, you know, type of emotional whatever in terms of having, you know, educated Alex on DeFi and clearly what, you know, they ran and did with it after I left, um, which makes me a little sad. Uh, you know, like things like uh, Luna and Terra that that literally didn't exist when when I was there in terms of like Anchor protocol, like none of the yield stuff on Terra was actually live when we were doing DeFi. We were doing 100% mainnet stuff. Um, and, you know, like, I don't know exactly what happened after I left. I know they expanded their headcount by like 3x really quickly. Just based on my understanding and what I saw of how that company worked, like, they would bring in people so quickly and not train them. And then especially a lot of them were not native crypto people that they had no idea what they were doing. So to some degree, like, their own success and growth was their greatest weakness and downfall. I wanted to veer a little bit because with this story and some of the other crypto meltdowns and, and the contagion and in particular around SPF recently, and I don't want to shift into that yet, but there's people talk about the mechanics of what happened, right? And then people also talk about the personalities and was it greed or avarice or did people just not know and, and kind of got overwhelmed or... And so can you just talk about to the extent you can, like the people inside and what do you think motivated this? Was this just moving too quickly and not realizing or it, it sounds like you're saying there was some, some evil intent here? I wouldn't say like yes and no. I'd say no primarily. Like Alex, in my opinion, is an evil person, but he doesn't know that. And what I mean is that he is a true textbook sociopath. He believes deeply the stuff that comes out of his own mouth. He's not lying to you when he says the shit that he says, because at the time that he says it, he believes it, or, or that's what I believe to be true. Um, and in a real way, and what originally drew me to him is he is someone that in his own twisted way, in his mind, he wants to be, he wants to save the world. He wants to make the world a better place through giving people optionality like with their finances, with blockchain and with decentralization and all that stuff. He does like in his mind, he does actually believe that stuff. And I know that this is very hard for people to hear, but that is who he is. The way that he goes about it and like the way that his brain works and how he's willing to like cut corners to get to the eventuality that he's looking for is what makes him a a an evil slash like 
you know, two faced person. Um, you know, Newt Goldstein is the person that like, I really, I got much closer with him, you know, before I joined Celsius full time than I think I was with Alex in many ways. Cause we're both like, you know, more tech first type people. Alex is more of a business guy. I think I'm a more tech person than a business guy. Um, I love Nuke. I think that he always has meant well. Um, I think that he is a very honest person. Uh, I think that sometimes maybe he's too, uh, like he's too just the type that like believes what other people will tell him and just goes with that, which has led to a lot of the like shit, I think. Um, I'm not going to comment on, uh, Daniel Leon and Ronnie Pavan. Um, but I think that I gave you guys enough of like how I feel about the executive and founding team there. So Celsius, in my opinion, did a very good job on the public face, right? So their social media, their presence. When? From 2019 through 2021. Uh, you would increasingly see them everywhere. Alex was on podcasts and, and conferences. You know, there's all these like drives to like have a Celsian community, right? Like it was hard to miss. And so was that just a, you know, kind of a well-intentioned marketing campaign or was that uh, an effort to like bring in retail to prop up and cover up some of the... I have to be honest, I wasn't really involved um, in that. All I can say is that I know that over that time period, they made a concerted effort to do better with their social media and stuff. I think that they did better relative to what they were doing before. I don't know if I would personally say that I think they did a great job of like social media engagement, but they did in terms of like whatever we look at what they did and call it success, you know? So I'll leave it at that. One other question I had just mechanically. So I recall like one of the options on the Celsius platform was you could you know, take your yield in sell token as opposed to whatever you are staking. So how, how much of a contributor was that to the rise in the token price? Like, was that fueling its own success or was that incidental? I do not believe that it was a major contributor to the rise in the price of sell token. Um, I think that it contributed to people's interest in using Celsius as a platform um, because the smartest or what I would consider like the most well-attuned whales uh, and users of Celsius would do this thing where they would basically like they might have some sell token, but they would, they would realize that they could um, select the earn and sell option like get 20% more dollar for dollar basis each Monday. And then they would instantly withdraw that sell token, go and buy the asset that they was their primary asset deposited Celsius and just redeposit that token. So like a lot of the smart guys who were depositing Bitcoin or Ethermatic, even though they didn't want to earn and sell, they would select the earn and sell option literally like clockwork within one hour of receiving their Monday distribution, withdraw that those sell you know, swap it to BTC or ETH or whatever their other token was, and then redeposit that Bitcoin or ETH to, to compound faster, to basically like use Celsius like a DeFi platform. And um, actually the, the company and like Alex and I too really respected those, those types of people because they were like using the platform 
in a way that was like really advanced. And like Alex had a lot of respect for, for them, even though they were, you know, market selling sell token every week, that was part of his, like he liked, he liked them and, and, and we all did. Uh, it's just an interesting caveat. So what about that story that uh, may or may not be true about Alex being on the runway at Teterboro trying to leave the country as this all fell apart? I heard from someone in a security company that I believe was employed by Celsius that he did go to that airport. Uh, I don't think it was Teterboro. I think it, it was a different airport in Jersey, um, but I never heard that he got onto the runway. Um, and I still don't know if that story is true in general. Um, yeah. Uh, I can only imagine what was going on um, in his head those days. Um, you know, I've dealt with my fair share of um, our federal government and like, you know, sometimes they're your friends, sometimes they're not. It's, uh, you know, I, everyone reacts differently to such things. I'm not an Israeli citizen, so I don't know how that would play into my mind, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that he's stayed in New York um, the whole last six months anyway. A couple more on the, the creditor situation. So you're not a personal or retail or institutional creditor yourself on Celsius. No, I actually, I actually, I actually had no money um, uh, on the platform in any business or personal account um, for over a year before they, like I literally stopped using Celsius as a platform uh, the month before I resigned from the company. Okay. But that still puts you in an interesting situation because Obviously, this is the whole deal with them. Uh, they whether this thing that they're tr still trying to spin out some new entity as a <laughs> with investor funds is is sort of hilarious to me. But yeah, this is the whole crux of it: is that uh, you know uh, where do creditors fall in line? Uh, how clear were their terms? It seems not very before uh, this all blew up. And what's the situation? But you're uh, you also have an interesting role to play in that you are a service pr provider well before. The blow up. What are the conversations going like for you? Like, are you talking to Simon? Obviously, he's involved uh, heavily from the creditor side, from the user side. We've never spoken directly. Um, I have respect for him. I think that he says mostly things that I agree with. Uh, well, I want to make some one small claim public uh, since we're talking about creditors. So, I think it was 2018. Uh, I met Alex uh, in Asia. And we were sitting in a hotel lobby and he said, if you download the Celsius app, I'll send you, it was like 20 bucks in ETH or so, uh, and to download it. And so he sends me the 20 bucks in ETH, which, you know, ETH was probably like a hundred bucks at the time or something. Um, and so, uh, and I never really did anything in Celsius. So I'm owed what I think is about like $160 um, in, in this whole shakeout you're probably owed 0.2 ETH plus interest, which is actually way more than $150 now, isn't it? Yeah, but I know I'm not going to get all of it. So if I can get the 150 and walk away, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be good. So if you can yeah. just mention that right as you're going through the proceeding, it would be good. Of course, it'll, it's number one on my list. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we can, we can start to move away from that, Jason. But yeah, obviously terms matter. Um, this was a this was one of the more interesting blowups for people like me who are pretty risk averse and <laughs> don't try to don't try to farm uh, yields like this or do whatever they were trying to do. But terms do matter, and they were absolutely misleading. So uh, best of luck when 
you're trying to work this out with the other creditors uh, and yourself and your team. But yeah, I guess uh, before we move on to like more current events, obviously that was a, the first sort of big blow to crypto and the markets, uh, what happened in May, June, 2022. Any thoughts on Terra, Luna, Voyager, the things that went down around that time, as well as Celsius? Never did anything with Voyager or was like ever aware of it. I don't think I've ever downloaded the app. I'm not familiar with it really, only from like reading Twitter and stuff. Um, Terra, I actually never like never use the Terra blockchain ever in my life for either corporate or personal reasons. Um, I knew what it was. Um, I actually invested in a project that was like, I invested in something like 25 K at, uh, when was it like October, 2021, that was like a Doquan project post Terra called Nebula or something. And like around that time I started looking into it, but I knew my friends were using anchor, didn't have any thoughts, didn't understand how it worked. was never, it was not like in my periphery. Um, was very sad to see what happened to crypto as a result of Terra crashing. I got super liquidated on an, uh, on an ape long position that I had. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, in, in May during consensus, uh, when I was in Austin, but no thoughts on, uh, on Luna. It was unfortunate. Um, I now understand what everyone else does just from like how it was built and like how the redemptions happened. I don't have a view on like if there was a conspiracy or if a certain group of people had a greater effect than others and making it go down. Um, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I really don't know. Um, and yeah, uh, that, I guess that answered that question. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts just on generally like how this reverberates through the market and everything, but there's so much obviously that's gone on in the past few weeks. We can probably save that pontificating for, for the end. So let's, let's move it forward then. So obviously, um, here we are, uh, next big shooter drop was FTX. I'll just leave them broad to start. <laughs> How have you been feeling in the markets these last few weeks? Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, I, I was in a pretty dark and depressed place, to be honest, um, from the time that I finally had to file against Celsius at the beginning of July. Um, and then when they countersued me out of appropriate order, by the way, we sued them in state court before the bankruptcy they should have responded to our claims, which is basically what their claims are in the bankruptcy case against me in state court. They didn't. It's a weird legal move that, you know, is, should be looked down upon. Um, now everything with my case is currently in the bankruptcy court. Um, FTX really sad. I think it changes our industry fundamentally and we'll see what the reverberations of that are over the next few years. Um, on a, it's a whole different level compared to what happened with Luna and Terra, Celsius Voyager. Um, it's really sad. Um, uh, two months earlier, I would have had a very significant sum of seven figures on uh, FTX International uh, and would have been completely screwed, thankfully. Uh, I misplayed the Ethereum merge <laughs> and uh, uh, after a major hit decided that I wasn't going to be trading anymore after mid-September for at least six months, taking a six-month hiatus. So I had no money on any exchanges when this all happened. 
um, thankfully. But yeah, um, as I said, I think earlier, there was one person that I'm very close to in the world that was a very early person at Alameda um, before FTX, I think, was even incepted. Uh, and me being me, based on everything that I know and from what I've heard, uh, you know, I I don't have many opinions on on Sam and stuff, but I do think that we're not getting like people aren't really comprehending the real story, which is that I think that he really was FTXing all day, every day for the last year and a half. And like Caroline and Sam were running Alameda and like there was this accounting mishap, but I think that the only people that would have potentially known of like, like I do believe the story that like, things were happening in such a way that like Sam didn't realize I I do believe that because I've seen it from like being at an executive level in another, you know, multi $10 billion crypto company and like how people treat different pieces of like accounting and oversight. And like you, you wouldn't believe how bad and how little some of that stuff exists, but I do believe him. I personally do when I watch him on these streams and he says, I didn't realize what was happening. I, I can, I feel that energy. I really do. And I feel like the only people that would have noticed would have been like Caroline seeing that, you know, shit was, uh, shit was like, Oh shit, we lost a lot of money. Like this hasn't been debited. Let's just not tell anyone. Cause like, hopefully we'll make the money back. I have no idea. I think it's super weird that Sam Trabuco has not, has been silent this whole time. I think that the fact that he left when he did and stepped away, it would be flabbergasting to me if he didn't basically see this, realize, basically pulled at Jason, like like I did with Celsius a year and a half early. He just did it six or nine months earlier. Like saw something was super fucked and was like, peace, I'm out, you know? Um, maybe that's not the case, but like, something in the universe is telling me that it is the same as like my situation with Celsius. Um, and if that's the case, fuck him. You know, it took Celsius a year and a half and many, many, many other mistakes to go under in a much smaller way than FTX did. And if Sam knew shit was going down and knew there was like an accounting issue and then six months later, you know, and then, and then left and then six months later this happened, fuck him. I hope that that's not what happened, but that's my theory. Interesting. So I'd actually like to hear a little bit more about why you think it's why you think it's possible. And, and we've probably all seen this org chart of like all of the entities that uh, are related. And, and I've only seen it once briefly. Like it's not on the top of my. The takeaway is it's a mess, right? There's like entities and they're geographically distributed. And it is a mess. I, I, I would I've dealt with so many lawyers in my life. I would love to know who the fuck were their lawyers who were advising them because like Usually, I won't let lawyers do things unless I have a general grasp of what's going on. And like, they had so many entities, it was out of control. I don't know, man. It's so weird. You know, my takeaway, right? It's probably overly complex. And uh, it, so it sounds like you think it's plausible that Sam just, he wasn't in the weeds enough to see the mechanics here? With regard to certain things about Alameda's trading positions, yes. Yeah. I think that the I think that what he should have realized 
100% is when Binance wanted to be bought out of their FTT nine months ago or six months, whenever the fuck it was. FTT is something where, and I think that this is like the most important takeaway that people should take from, from me um, in terms of how I see the crypto space about what happened is that as soon as Binance wanted to get out of their FTT position, FTT immediate, like FTT's ability to be a collateralizable asset of, with any liquidatable value is, becomes 100% dependent on how much money Alameda FTX or other stakeholders in FTT are willing to put buy walls up for. And like, because basically that's how, that's how the governance token model and ecosystem works. Like if you have like, you know, seriously concentrated, uh, you know, token allocations, even in the like one to 7% range, but a number of them in, in a specific tokens ecosphere that centralizes not risk, but it centralizes the ability for the market cap of that coin to change very quickly. And for him to not have realized that if they were using FTT in the way that they were, it absolutely should have been clear, just like with Alex Mashinsky, like, and, but Alex in this case knew what he was doing. He knew that they had to be very on top of the control of the sell price and liquid trading market in order to not allow this thing to happen. Sam is 10 times smarter than Alex could ever be and probably than I am, but he, for some reason, didn't catch that part, which is, and that, and that part is, is I created a token that basically the liquid market for normalization of like liquidations and who are the buyers and sellers will not exist if the status quo doesn't maintain. And that I think was the unraveling of everything. Is this, is this how they, how they used FTT and like what the true dynamics of using, you know, Ill, like relatively illiquid governance tokens, uh, for large scale fiat loans looks like. So what do you make of the CZ, you know, goes public, right? Starts commenting on Twitter. That's the, I don't think that he ever intended this, this stuff. Interesting. I, I believe it. I, I really believe that. Yeah. How come? I've never met him. Um, I have one very close friend who is pretty close with him. Uh, from who I know him to be, he wants the world to get better and change through the greater integration of blockchain into people's lives. He knows he is not a competitor to FTX. They're, if we want the world to adopt blockchain, we need Binance and FTX and companies as big as Merrill Lynch and JP Morgan to be you know, count like other options for people to be, if we all want crypto to be a hundred trillion dollar industry like Nike is. Uh, and I just, I don't believe that his intention was to take down FTX. I think that very quickly, I do think that he realized very quickly that what he had done had sparked something that was going to lead to something that he could no longer control. But that's, I don't blame him for that. And I don't think that people should, um, you know, he could have, again, I don't know him. I've never met him. I have a lot of respect for the guy. 
Um, maybe after I meet him, I can give you a better read. <laughs> I wanted to t- kind of like pivot before we wrap up a little bit into just kind of view forward, right? Like we're, we're in the, the churn coming out of some turmoil. Yeah. Um, I don't believe, you know, nor have I ever believed the reports that crypto is dead, but it's definitely going to be different. Um, what, what are your thoughts looking forward? Crypto is definitely going to be different. Um, what do I think? I think that we're going to see a major, you know, surge back or like, uh, being drawn back to the original ideals of crypto with decentralization, you know, you really owning your own livelihood, uh, non-custodial wallets, non-custodial activities, things like, um, you know, like not keeping more money on exchanges than you absolutely need to, unless you're literally a professional with better types of risk management systems and automated APIs that can pull money off exchanges. Um, I think that, this whole blow up will push the industry forward in a good way in terms of, you know, wrapping up and evolving a lot of that stuff that I just mentioned. Um, I also think that it will result in a major pushback to certain forms of uh, decentralized trading, um, decentralized leverage trading is uh, very possible and interesting, um, whether it's the GMX model or whether it's the Aave compound borrow and loop model. There's ways to replicate those types of market exposures that are you know, easy to do on DeFi where you don't have to give up custody. I also think that, um, that this is the time when like the ways that people can apply Fireblocks and other technologies like it um, to have like, you know, quote unquote, co-custody between yourself and an exchange um, to make sure that your money isn't being used for something else at the same time as what you are properly doing with it, you know? Um, like things like that, I think are going to evolve. I think the time for for DeFi is going to come back, but not in the way that we saw DeFi summer with like, you know, a new governance token every six hours. I think it's going to be like the old mainstay protocols that really provide value are going to start to shine um, in this bear market before we lead to the next bull. Um, I'm doing a lot personally in the NFT finance space, like NFT borrowing, lending, CDP model, both with JPEG protocol and Drops protocol um, and some integrations there and some stuff I do with NFTs. And I think we're starting to see, you know, a lot of evolution. So I'm very optimistic about, where blockchain goes from here, but I think it's going to be more where blockchain goes from here, not where crypto goes from here. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're shifting back from a crypto first to a blockchain first world as somehow as a result of, of all of this madness over the last few months. I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone but me, but that's what I feel. What's your distinction between, say, crypto, blockchain, and Bitcoin? Because we have listeners from all all sectors, I'd say, and some Bitcoiners are really hardcore that Bitcoin is the only thing that's actually going to work as far as the blockchain goes. Others are obviously not. And also, I'm curious to ask the question from the perspective of the market. So, you know, we've been at three trillion all inclusive and now we're down, you know, a bit under a, a trillion and Bitcoin is currently in its low of, of dominance from there. So that's that's where I, I want to frame that as well. I think that 
Bitcoin is always going to be the reserve currency for, you know, fair cryptographically distributed and held digital assets globally. I don't think that that means that Ethereum can't be some also valuable semi-store of value slash utility slash governance token also that exists in a different area of the blockchain ecosystem. Um, I will say that I'm someone that has a bunch of graded Casatius coins, which are those physical Bitcoins with the private key like in them graded that I <laughs> sent into one of these companies to turn into an NFT because I wanted to use that physical Bitcoin in DeFi. No one in DeFi ended up giving me a loan on that NFTified physical Bitcoin Casatius coin, but um, you know, like th that's kind of where my mind is. I think that everything eventually converges, and I think that there's everything will fit together that that should. You know, like I don't know if like Cardano fits into that future, but like you know, I think that like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cosmos, uh, Polkadot, like those that blockchain world can all coexist together in a way where you know. A hundred trillion dollars of the world's global economy somehow is using blockchain, whether it's for payments or finance or supply chain tracking or whatever the fuck it is. Like, that's what I think. It's interesting to me how much uh, bluster revolves around crypto, whether it's in various congresses and parliaments around the world, uh, compared to the broader markets. I mean, I just saw a headline. Uh, you might maybe you did as well, like Blackstone. Uh, is limiting withdrawals. Now their withdrawals, they're limiting to like 125 billion. All right, so just put things in perspective, right? Celsius, Terra, Voyager, couple billion, FTX, 10 billion. Okay, now we're having, I, I don't know what, what people would like to withdraw, but you know, when you're talking about major, major funds in the real economy that are becoming, realizing that they're illiquid as well, uh, you know, because all the things that we're in Bitcoin for, right? Like against monopolies and central banks and money printing and all the rest, we're really, really small uh, compared to, you know, it's just the pinprick of, of the broader economy. So I think about that a lot, yet it's such a, uh, it's such a wide and usually negative reaction from places like uh, governments and uh, regulators. So... I'm not really personally worried from that perspective if I if I just do the math there, but it does seem like they're going to keep coming, you know, with CBDCs and everything else. So I guess it's more of various points than a question, but I don't know if you have anything on that. I think the world will evolve in a way that we help it do so. <laughs> um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Do you think we're done with contagion or uh, is the market still going to work itself out here? I personally believe that we are, but I'm also not actively trading right now, so I would not trade or take that as any type of financial advice. I don't think that, like, I don't actually understand um, enough about the about Reg D and exactly how Genesis GBTC, or excuse me, exactly how GBTC like exists out there in the world. Obviously, I'm a very informed person. I do know a lot of things. I don't think that there's any grayscale issue. So um, I think that push comes to shove. Barry can just write a check himself, which he just doesn't want to do. Um, I'm pretty sure is what's happening. So yes, I personally think that contagion is done. Um, assuming that the KuCoin stuff is fine. Um, I 
think that OKX is fine. And um, I think that Coinbase and Gemini are fine. So I think the contagion is over. Interesting. Well, maybe that's a, a good way. Don't quote me on that. I'm not saying it is. <laughs> I think it is. I'm prepared for it to be or not to be. All of my money is currently in self-custody, so it doesn't matter anyway. Not investment advice as always, Jason. Don't worry. Uh, no, ne- never investment. Never financial advice is literally my tag on Twitter. <laughs> Indeed. Wise. Indeed. We have it uh, in the show notes as well. And I, I hate that we have to say it. I don't even know if we really have to say it on our little podcast, but uh, we still do say it. Um <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Well, interesting thoughts, uh, Jason. Thanks a lot for for coming on. Uh, as we as we wrap it here, any you know besides self custody, besides control your own keys, uh, and this is those are obviously great lessons, especially right now. Any other closing thoughts? Where can our listeners find you, etc.? Uh, I'm not someone that believes that like 100 percent in your keys, your coins. You have to do all self custody. I just happen to personally do a lot of my own stuff on EVM compatible chains, you know, myself with, you know, ledgers and whatnot. And, you know, I, I use Gemini, I use a couple other exchanges. Um, I don't mind keeping a Bitcoin or two there doing whatever, but unless you're trading actively with money, that's when I think that there's no reason or, or earning yield or something there's, then there's no reason to like, keep money um, on an exchange unless like for some reason you don't trust yourself. That, that, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, any other? Yeah, no, I am. Um, I, you can follow me at OXB one. I plan over the next year to be a little bit more vocal on non NFT related things. Obviously OXB one was started as an account that was really about communicating about financial opportunities in the DeFi realm with the people that were following that wallet. And I want to continue doing that. I obviously had to take a step back from doing so uh, as the Celsius stuff was, um, you know, in quiet negotiation. But now that everything is public, um, I think I can start to, uh, you know, use that as a platform again to communicate about, you know, finance and uh, trading and DeFi opportunities with the world. And um yeah, I'm always happy to talk to anyone, answer any questions, generate some alpha together, whatever. Jason, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Stay safe out there, and uh, perhaps we'll uh, talk again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks.